0: In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com.
1: Today's episode is brought to you by West Holm. We all know from home cooks to restaurant chefs to eating enthusiasts that the quality of your ingredients makes all the difference, especially when it comes to meat. Westholm, which is based in Queensland in the Northern Territory, Australia, is working with the land to create nature-led Australian Wagyu. They steward 16 million acres of rangeland, guided by the natural ecosystem where their cattle thrive. The result is high-quality Wagyu beef that reflects the terroir of Northern Australia, and a flavor suited to complement any cuisine. Westholm believes that when nature leads, flavor follows. Learn more
2: at westholme.com slash That's W-E-S-T-H-O-L-M-E dot com slash saver.
3: Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. When you buy
4: Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, Look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone.
1: Hello, and welcome to Saber a Production of iHeartRadio. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we have another listener mail episode for you. Yes! Because you all are the best and yes. you send such awesome
2: messages and we want to share them all. And then we get a backlog and we're like, you know what? Time for another listener mail episode. Yes. Yes. Um, and we're going to cover some real ground in this one. We got stuff about crabs, so many letters <laughs> about crabs, an <laughs> old bay. And I am very, very excited to share all of
1: these messages. Yes, they are so delightful. Uh, So, uh, oh, do do you want to start? Should I start? I guess I'll start because
2: we have a letter from another a fellow Annie. Ah, yes. Yes. Annie wrote, thank you for your Old Bay episode. It overlapped with my life in several ways. Of course, as a resident of Baltimore City, the Spice Blend is an ever-present friend, but you also touched on two other subjects that are near and dear to my heart. Baltimore Salt Boxes and the ice cream shop, The Charmery. Hmm. I live about 300 feet from the Hamden Charmery and order a scoop of Old Bay Caramel regularly. It's a beautiful combination of salty, sweet, and spicy, best served with hot fudge. The Charmery makes some truly delicious ice creams, but they are also not afraid to push the boundaries of their genre. Hmm. This past Halloween, they, quote, challenged their audience with five spooky flavors. <laughs> <laughs> Pickled onion sorbet, green bean casserole, ketchup and mustard, OJ and toothpaste, <laughs> and Chianti and fava bean. <laughs> I can't say that I want them on the full-time <laughs> menu, but I appreciate the charmerie's sense of adventure. <laughs> We couldn't attend parties or hand out candy this Halloween, but we had a great time tasting the spooky flavors with a few friends. If you walk a block east of the Charmery, you find one of Baltimore's most best-known salt boxes, Salt Bay. (laughs) We love our salt boxes. They keep us safe and entertained. A few of my favorites are the Ouija Box, the Salty Dog Box, and the Saltwater Taffy Box. Shout out to Baltimore Salt Box on Instagram for championing them and to artist Juliet Ames. Julia is not only a prolific saltbox artist, she makes other artists' saltbox dreams come true by distributing pre-cut, pre-painted yellow panels. Baltimore has a rich food culture with some intriguing specialties. If you're ever inspired to do a Baltimore episode, I'd like to learn more about lemon peppermint sticks, serving grape jelly on a breakfast egg sandwich, bean pies, why lake trout is neither trout nor from the lake. (laughs) Well, <laughs> I'm intrigued by all of that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yes, and I love these spooky Halloween flavors. That is so fun.
1: <laughs> that is brilliant. I didn't know that that the OJ and toothpaste thing was a thing until, really? like, basically this week. What? I somehow missed out on this.
2: I mean, I suppose it is. Well, if you don't drink a lot of orange juice, then... I can see how it would be. You could miss it, but I feel it does. I mean, if you have orange juice for breakfast and then you brush your teeth. (laughs) Oh.
1: Terrible. But but apparently, some people enjoy it. (gasps) (gasps) What? (laughs) How
2: disturbing. (laughs) Truly the spookiest of flavors. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I don't know if there was something like mayonnaise, mayonnaise and
1: caramel on there that might really <laughs> do me in. <laughs> oh no, mayonnaise flavored ice cream? Huh.
2: I bet you it exists. Oh, I'm positive out. that it does.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> okay. Well, with that firmly in mind, because it's not going anywhere <laughs> now <laughs> that I've thought of it. Uh, Caitlin wrote. I just finished the Old Bay episode, and I have an extremely strong opinion that I'd like to share. It's terrible. That's all. But really, I grew up in Nebraska, and when my husband and I moved to Annapolis, Maryland, everyone was shocked that I'd even heard of Old Bay. I get that it's big out here, but a lot of people seem to assume that it was exclusive as well— Although, I can't say I've ever used it. My mom just always had a box of it at the back of the spice cupboard. It's probably at least 30 years old by now. <laughs> Cut to moving here, and it's on everything. It is the single biggest reason I don't choose french fries or tots at every single restaurant we go to. Anything with a house seasoning or house sauce, you can bet it's just Old Bay and mayonnaise. Eye roll emoji. But I think you all finally hit on the reason I don't like it. I don't particularly like cinnamon and other traditionally sweet spices on my savory food because it's almost always overdone. Chili with cinnamon? That's just dessert beans as far as I'm concerned. And I'd prefer my dessert beans to be in mochi. And sweet spices mixed with the natural sweetness of crab and lobster? It's no wonder I could never get into either. Ooh,
2: strong up in goodness. <laughs>
1: I <Coming laughs> love <out>. it. <laughs> Controversy.
2: <laughs> yeah, I uh when I miraculously found my bottle of uh old bay <laughs> that I've had all along, mm-hmm. I did like a, a taste testing of just the, the spice blend. It's like, oh yes, I do detect notes <laughs> of <laughs>
1: uh-huh. Uh-huh.
2: cinnamon or whatever. oh, <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: Usually it's just dumped in, in my experience, it's just so dumped into seafood, I don't really take the time to analyze the yeah. mix of spices. It just sort of tastes
1: like, right. Good? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, savory seafood. Uh, I need to, okay, this this might be a weekend project. I need to make, like, an old bay that does not have the paprika. Yeah. You and then should. maybe maybe I'll like taste that and then like smell paprika.
2: Ooh. And see interesting.
1: If, yeah. See see what I can do.
2: All right. Well, keep us updated. Oh There's yeah. There's a lot of food experiments and projects we've got going mm. on. <laughs> mm-hmm. Aaron wrote, I had to write to tell you about my passionate disdain for root beer and my husband's equal but opposite love of root beer. For the last 21 years, he has met my dislike of root beer with a mix of horrified disbelief and evil sense of humor. He finds it especially surprising since my dad grew up in Gulfport, Mississippi, just down the road from where Barks was created in Biloxi. Yet, I still hate this stuff so much that I don't even like to smell it on his breath and will avoid even a little peck-on-the-cheek kiss if I know he has been drinking root beer. Meanwhile, my dear hubby thinks it's delightfully fun to secretly fill his large fountain soda cup with root beer and then innocently offer to share his drink with me when I run out of my (laughs) small drink. He laughs so hard as I choke and sputter on that vile potion, which I thought to be an innocent Coke. He also finds it funny to enjoy a root beer lollipop and then lean in all romantic-like for a juicy kiss until I recoil in horror. (laughs) I take it all in good stride, though, now that our two kids have decided that root beer is disgusting because it means I win. he is outnumbered in the root beer debate in our house. (laughs) And now for the Old Bay. I coincidentally listened to the Old Bay episode as I was literally driving across the Chesapeake Bay Bridge in Maryland, going between our main home in northern Virginia and our beach house on a tiny island on the eastern shore. Growing up in the area, our family has strong attachments to Old Bay seasoning— when I cleaned out my mom's estate last year, I even found a rusted can of Old Bay in the back of a kitchen cabinet dated to 1973, back when they actually listed all of the now secret spices on the ingredient list. I'm sure we went through dozens of cans in the interim, but that long Place can was an interesting find. Needless to say, Old Bay has been a part of my life as long as I can remember, so when my brother did a crab oil a few years ago and brought out J.O. number two instead of Old Bay, I was shocked. Not only did he bring out the J.O., he brought out a 25-pound bucket of Jo seasoning. He explained that he had tried it at a friend's restaurant and liked it better but couldn't find it in retail quantities, so he decided to go all in on a 25-pound food service package. He begged and pleaded for me to take some of it to our beach house because he wasn't going to go through that much seasoning in a lifetime. I grudgingly obliged and went on my way with a gallon-sized Ziploc filled with Jo seasoning. (laughs) Fast forward a year, we were cooking some crabs we had just caught at the beach, and my youngest son, four at the time, decided to help by bringing the bag of J.O. seasoning closer to the steamer in the screened porch. He managed to drop the bag, though, and spilled almost the entire gallon of J.O. on the outdoor carpet that was soaking wet from the previous night's thunderstorm. The quickest way I could think of to clean it up was the vacuum, but it was already too late. As soon as I started vacuuming, it began clumping as it turned into a paste. (laughs) My poor, poor vacuum was completely filled with a sticky, pungent mess. It took me several hours to completely disassemble my Dyson on the kitchen floor and scrape (laughs) the goo out of all the crevices I possibly could. Two years later, my vacuum still smells like J.O. seasoning, but my table will now only feature Old Bay. In closing, might I suggest that the only obvious food-based tattoo that Annie should get is a jar of peanut butter. Oh.
1: <laughs>
2: That's true. I yes. agree.
1: That would be hmm. perfect.
2: It would be. I would have to think about the design. I would have to. <laughs> I'm already like running through what they could look like in my head. Well, I, I, we have heard so much about root beer, and as someone who's still not tried it, I am, like, <laughs> going back and forth between this passionate love people have and this
1: passionate <laughs>
2: hatred people
1: have. Oh, oh, goodness. Right, and we saw each other this week, and I didn't we bring did? you root beer. Heck, oh, fail. Who
2: knows? It could have made me, could have put me in a rotten mood. And as your dungeon master, you might not have
1: wanted that. (laughs) That's very true. That's very, oh, no, no, no. I wouldn't have let you drink it then. I would have been like, no, no, no. You you take that home. (laughs) Yeah. We can Skype about it if you want to, but. Yes. Yes.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Hopefully I don't do a spick take or something. Ruin my computer. (laughs) Get you a shield, <laughs> yes. One of those in the movies that they use uh-huh. to protect the camera.
1: That's what I need. <laughs> Let's oh go gosh. all in on this root beer testing. Yeah, <laughs> very important root beer testing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, Vivian wrote, just wanted to chime in regarding root beer and the Chinese dislike of it. The listener who wrote in about finding nary a root beer enthusiast in China mentioned that many people said it tasted like medicine. This is so true. Licorice is used in common Chinese herbal medicines. In Chinese, it's called gan sao, where sao means grass, and gan, um, I I just learned from Google, apparently means sweet. Lies. Anyone who grew up being plied with these herbal medicines is likely to despise anything containing licorice, including licorice candies. A Dutch coworker once brought in some licorice candies. Uh, there was a spectrum of appraisals, but you can bet both I and another Chinese American coworker resoundingly hated it. And another <laughs> another person wasted it.
2: <laughs> huh. I guess that makes sense. I remember we, we did do the licorice tasting on the show, one of our few tastings we've yeah. ever done. And I didn't hate it, but I do remember thinking it tasted medicinal to me. Um,
1: it does. I mean, it doesn't not. not hmm <laughs> Oh, and oh
2: very, man. I gotta very, try it. <laughs>
1: very licoricey licorices are are not are not my favorite like there's th- th- there are grades of licorice and i like mm. a solid american <laughs> flavored licorice right That's like right. european it's- licorices i'm like oh my goodness what are you doing <laughs> huh well
2: the the anticipation continues to build all right <laughs> Um, well, Daniel wrote, regarding your bubble tea episode, I tried to hold back the chuckles every time you two mentioned boba in so casual manner. I'm of Chinese origin and all my young Asian friends are all huge fans of bubble tea. I, on the other hand, am somewhat indifferent. I found your research of the name boba quite thorough. Yes, indeed, there was a Hong Kong actress nicknamed boba on account of her sizable front. So boba (laughs) is a slang term coming out of Hong Kong. Bo is the phonetic translation of the English word ball, in this case meaning breast, and the best English translation of the word ba would be tyrannical, <laughs> meaning way more wow. beyond a mere champion. Boba milk tea in Chinese is boba cha. Apologies if I'm mispronouncing that. Basically meaning tyrannical breast milk tea. <laughs> Uh, Taiwanese marketing, I guess. But nowadays <laughs> in Chinese, people don't call them boba anymore. They are called Jin Ju Nai Cha, pearl milk tea. Not until I listened to your episode did I realize that the American public had taken on the term boba. And this threw me way off balance. And to regain balance, I felt compelled to write you. <laughs> well,
1: thank you. cool. Yes. That's goodness. Goodness. I had right? no idea. <laughs> I did not either. I am delighted, and I hope that uh that you got that you got a lot of entertainment out of that.
2: Yes, that is always our our goal. Uh, <laughs> sometimes we don't intend to do it in this accidental manner, but happy nonetheless. yeah. <laughs> and I will say as I said in that one, uh, I usually call it bubble tea or milk tea, but I just know that from what I was reading, a lot of people here do call it.
1: Boba. boba yeah mm-hmm. i I was introduced to it um as boba um uh as boba tea but um but I think I've switched at some point through i yeah d- just just the number of shops in the area that use bubble tea instead of boba right. tea so I mm-hmm. don't know it's probably regional
2: I think so that's what I read um but I'm very happy to get a more detailed explanation <laughs> tyrannical <of the> name
1: <laughs> I am making a mental note of that. That is like my factoid of the day. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) J. Sue wrote, I'm writing in after just listening to the bubble tea episode. As a Taiwanese, I was delighted to hear about a drink from my country being featured on the show. Bubble tea is, like many Taiwanese cuisines, a combination of all the cultures, both East and West, that converges on the island. I really appreciate your effort in researching the topic, even covering the recent drought that's causing all kinds of trouble. I have two fun facts that I would like to share with you. The first is that bubble tea is so widely consumed in Taiwan that it's sometimes used to describe how much an item or service costs, hence the bubble tea for arms incident. (laughs) The second is that when the boba pizza first came out, the internet had very strong opinions about it. Some people argued that it was an abomination worse than Hawaiian pizza. I've never had the chance to taste it, but most reviews that I found claimed that they were fairly decent as a pastry, not as pizza. But the boba pizza is not the most mind-blowing boba cuisine. That title goes to boba ramen. Yes, it's a thing.
2: My boba brain does not to do with that
1: information. <laughs> See, because because the because the pearls. I have. a I feel weird about calling him Boba now because uh, because the pearls are chewy, and like good ramen nood- noodles are also chewy, but in a slightly different way. Uh, yeah, you know why not to try things. Um. <laughs> I need to. I'm like, what kind of broth do you use? What other kinds of Are there, like, coconut jellies in there? Like, what's happening? Is this a sweet ramen, or is this... Oh, gosh. More questions
2: than answers.
1: This is, like, I'm, like, just staring into the middle distance. (laughs) Behind my microphone, going, like, the possibilities. The terrible (laughs) possibilities.
2: The call of the Bobo Ramen. (laughs) (laughs) It summons thee. Oh, wow! We'll have well, to look into that. Yeah. Um, but in the meantime, we have some more
1: listener mail to cover. We do, but first we've got a quick break for a word from our sponsor.
3: Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women creating sustainable size and gender-inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit-tested for all-day comfort in sizes three extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com.
0: Before AI can help your business predict demand, accelerate growth, inform decisions, automate tasks, reveal insights, generate content... You have to trust it. Introducing Watson X Governance. Helping you govern any AI as data, models, and policies change so you can scale it responsibly. Let's create AI that begins with trust with Watson X Governance. Learn more at ibm.com governance. IBM. Let's create.
4: Father's Day is coming. A day we celebrate the guy who's always there for us. To crack a dad joke. Well, you know what's not a dad joke? Getting $50 off the Bartesian Premium Cocktail Maker with the purchase of his favorite cocktail capsule pack. $50 off. No dad joke. See, this is a dad joke. I lost my glasses today, and guess who I bumped into? Everyone. off now until Father's Day. Visit B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N.com backslash father to get $50 off the best premium cocktail maker for dad at the best price for you. Bartesian, premium
5: cocktails on demand. Glow with your best skin. Be confident in your skin.
2: Back, thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. Kelsey wrote, I am loving the blue crab episode, particularly Annie's references to the bay. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) I picked up a copy of that film from my local library a while back now, and wow, it was upsetting. I actually paused it at a few points to quickly research the film and its parasitic subject matter. I am biased as I personally quite like found footage horror, but the bay was really good. Here on Vancouver Island, uh, British Columbia, Canada, our delicious native crab is the Dungeness. Their flesh is sweet, their carapace sort of burgundy in hue. They get intimidatingly large, and catching them is the best kind Hmm. of fishing. Set a trap, then buzz off for a while before hauling (laughs) up your catch. As a child playing catch and release with shore crabs, uh, wee small ones that are basically bird fodder, I was taught that female crabs have a beehive on their belly, while males have a lighthouse. A favorite game between my cousins and I was to see who could pick up the largest shore crab without getting pinched. (laughs) The only ones safe from our grasping little paws were the spider crabs, which look creepy and love hiding in kelp, startling passerby and rude children alike. Mm -hmm. Um, Thank you for your wonderful program. Uh Extra thanks for your mention of the game Morals a little while back. We ordered a copy, and my nine-year-old and I love it. I would never have heard of morals if it weren't for you all at Saver. Lauren, your aquarium ecosystem sounds fantastic. <laughs> I haven't been brave enough to return to aquarium ownership since my ill-fated foray as an irresponsible tween. I still feel guilty about those poor <laughs> fish. May your aquatic vertebrates and invertebrates enjoy long, healthy lives and bring you much joy.
1: Oh. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
2: I often think about your your aquatic ecosystem not in a weird way. I'm just hoping everything's going
1: well over there. You know, I me too. Me too. There there are it is it is truly there I I can't remember if I've said this out loud on the show before, but like there are any number of times when I'm like trying to figure out what's going on in there and mm-hmm. I just sit there and I'm like I purposefully brought a bunch of creatures that cannot live in our atmosphere into my home, mm-hmm. <laughs> and dedicated myself to taking care of them mm-hmm. in my home, which is not made of water. <laughs> <laughs> True, it's not like it's not like a plant or a cat that you can just like sort of set down mm-hmm. and kind of be like, well, it'll be more or less okay right there. Mm-hmm. There's like a lot of factors. I know. Uh,
2: <laughs> I, too, had a traumatic aquarium experience as a tween and never went back. Uh, so, trust me, I. this is why I often, I'm like, I hope Lauren's aquatic ecosystem is okay.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm like, right now, I'm like, my nitrates are slightly high. I need more bacteria balls. Like, I, these are not thoughts that I ever had Right. In the before times. So, mm-hmm. anyway, well, mm-hmm. we're just all, we're all working it out one bacteria ball at a time.
2: That's all we can do. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm glad to hear Morals was fun. I really want to check it out, oh, so. Oh yeah. Happy to hear that it was a good time.
1: Yeah, especially now that we're 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 back to having game game nights. Uh Kirk wrote Loved the Crab podcast and the explanation of a Crab Jubilee, brought to mind a poem by the great Newfoundland poet, Ted Russell, called The Smoke Room on the Kyle. First, a little backstory on the Kyle. Uh, she was a coastal boat in Newfoundland that uh, folks used to move around the island before all the communities were connected by road, and was the ship my mother took from St. Anthony when she came to university in St. John's, and my father and grandfather often traveled around the island on her. Enough on the ship, and more on the great poem by Mr. Russell. The poem is a great example of Newfoundland storytelling, and I remember sitting around with my great uncle, baiting trawl lines and mending nets in their fishing stage, and listening to them telling tales like this. In the poem, Grandpa Walcott tells a tale of catching squid that I would think qualifies as a jubilee of squid. I've included a link to Ted's son Kelly reciting the poem while standing on the deck of the kyle. You will get a better sense of the poem's voice hearing it in his accent. I hope you get a chuckle at this Fisher's Tale. And remember, all of these things really happened, except the ones that didn't. That's how I
2: f- often feel doing these episodes, to be honest. Like,
1: oh, yeah. Yeah. We're like, oh, this is all actual facts. Except for, you know, whatever isn't.
2: Maybe not. <laughs> yes, always. We love food poems. Thanks for sending in a re- recitation. And I just got to say, a Jubilee of Squid sounds terrifying. Like, Yeah.
1: Yep. A Jubilee
2: of Crab is kind of freaky enough.
1: But, but a, jubilee a Jubilee of, of squid? squid? Yeah.
2: I'm, I'm like...
1: There. I, oh yeah, oh yeah, no, between, um, between the Watchmen series and also reading Sphere as a kid and, Mm -hmm. uh, just Squid, look at him. I try not to. (laughs) (laughs) No, I actually am a big fan of, like, creatures like that. Oh yeah, cephalopods Um, are my favorite.
2: Yeah, but they do, they do look a little freaky. (laughs) They're
1: weird. They're super weird looking. Um, uh, also so many apologies if i butchered literally every place name and other mm-hmm. proper noun in that listener mail i we we looked up newfoundland yes. right before i read that uh and there were several different pronunciations so i went with the one <laughs> that mm-hmm. seemed the most common <laughs> <laughs> yeah
2: yeah, we're I trying. think it's also, in general, apologies for mispronunciations of any place. <laughs> because, you know, sometimes you think you know how to pronounce something. It turns out you really don't.
1: Yeah, yeah. And sometimes when you look it up, the pronunciation guide is wrong. Or we're human and we make the wrong uh, phoneme sounds with our mouths and it just occurs. It just occurs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But so, yes, thank you. Thank you for your grace. And always thank you for your corrections. Yes. yes. (laughs) Both are appreciated. Mm -hmm. (laughs)
2: Courtney wrote, after your crab episode, I thought I would share the family story known fondly as the Great Crab Massacre. When I was a child, my father and brother would go crabbing with another family off the Oregon coast during our vacations. For whatever reason, this trip, they decided to bring the crab home for my family to cook. But my father, the cook in my family, and the other parents went out somewhere, I still don't know where or why, leaving my mom to watch four tweens and cook. The oldest son of the other family said, so you're going to cook the crab for dinner? My mom said, I have no idea how to cook crab. This destroyed that guy. His mom was basically Doris Day, and my mom mowed the lawn and fixed things, so you can imagine how this ruined gender rolls for him. Anyways, he told her to put them in a pot of boiling water, but no one knew how long to cook them. Well, we watched the entire Miss America pageant on TV in our RV. Considering how long those are, you can imagine what happened to the crab. Yep, rubber. But we didn't know that at the time, so all the kids went out to the picnic table at our RV site and started smashing crabs at around 9 p.m. at night. It was great fun for us, but no one ate the crab. So not only did we massacre them by destroying the shells, we massacred the meat. We all ended up at Applebee's late night for dinner, which only made it better because this is during the time of smoking sections. During our dinner, the smoke detector in the smoking section went off like five times. Every time it turned off, the whole smoking section would applaud. It was the most interesting vacation night of my childhood. (laughs) Well, that does certainly sound like a very memorable and interesting vacation experience. I feel like we all have those memories of uh-huh. you had dinner plans on a vacation and you they for whatever reason go wrong and you end up at, say Applebee's or where did we go one time? My family it was like 10 p.m. and nothing was open. We went to Chili's.
1: Oh yeah, we went to Chili's uh-huh.
2: they stay up until 11 p.m. Uh, <laughs> But we were like at a, a seafood galore restaurants and we had this big plan of going to the seafood place and everything was closed so oh. we It was no crab massacre, but <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh yeah oh those those were very well boiled crabs that <laughs>
3: yeah.
1: yeah oh yeah, no oh, sad crabs. <laughs> Sad crabs. (laughs) And no one even got to eat them. Happy memories, but sad crabs. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Uh, John wrote, Ladies, I've been listening for ages now, and I love the podcast. Oh, thank you. Uh, I even wrote a stand-up bit that was informed greatly by your lobster episode. But this email is about another crustacean, the blue crab. I am from God's own country, Charleston, South Carolina, and blue crabs are a huge part of low-country cooking. This time of year, we have softies, softshell crabs, and loquats, which I recommend for another show. And the jasmine is in bloom, so the whole city smells amazing. Down here, we like to go crabbing whenever we can. Basically, you take a few crab traps, just large metal baskets, um, and a few hand lines, a long string with an aggressive-looking hook on the end. Bait them with chicken necks and head out to your nearest dock. The traps are self-explanatory, but with the hand lines, you drop the be chicken necked hook into water and wait until you feel the subtle tugs and bumps, a blue crab picking at the bait. Then you have to oh-so-deftly pull the hook back up and scoop a net under the crab before they see you and jump off, only to disappear back into the water. If you're lucky, you'll catch enough for a crab crack or maybe a crab boil, pronounced bowl. A crab crack is exactly what it sounds like. You stand around with a small gathering and just go to town on a pile of hot, bowled crabs. A crab bowl is a slightly larger affair, usually. It's a variation of a low country boil, uh, which some people may call a frogmore stew, which is usually red-skinned potatoes, corn on the cob, sausage, and shrimp. For a crab bowl, start with the above mix and throw in a couple dozen crabs. Just spread out some newspaper on a large table— Put out some bottles of hot sauce and butter, and you've got a great night ahead of you.
2: <laughs> oh yes, oh yes. I've never done a crab boil or boil. <laughs> uh, I have done a crawfish one, which I know I talked about on that in that episode, and they yeah, are same. so fun and so delicious. But I'm yes. bad at them; like I get a lot of cuts. Oh I, yeah, I it is <laughs>
1: it is delicious pain. Um, it is definitely like I I am so not great at crawfish mm-hmm. cracking, and so I like sometimes like I, I am valiant, but mm-hmm. eventually I'm just like I'm just are there shrimp? Can I just eat yes. more potatoes? I don't know. Like what? what I I can't look mm-hmm. at these poor hands. <laughs>
2: <laughs> they look like such strong hands. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh gosh, and uh, and and on the pronunciation of the word uh, boil. Um, from watching the very delightful Amy Sedaris show um, at home with Amy Sedaris, um, I picked up she 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 pronounces it very. She she's from the area and she pronounces it bowl, and uh, and she also pronounces other related words like ole and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And I picked up those pronunciations from that because I was just so charmed by it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I have a hard time not. Saying it that way, <laughs> I am from nowhere near <laughs> <Right>. that accent. <laughs> right. Yeah. But it, it could catch on for sure. Yeah. Um. <laughs> and that's why I was kind of going back and forth during that mm-hmm. during that read. Hmm. Um.
2: And we have another email about crabs Yay! from Sheldon, <laughs> who wrote, "Your crab episode reminded me of something a long time ago when I lived in NYC, Long Island." out crabbing for a morning, got half a pail full of crabs, then heading home. We passed a bar and thought that a lunch and a beer would be perfect before getting home. It was a hot day, so instead of leaving the pail of crabs in the hot sunny car, we brought them in with us and left them under the table while we ate. Must have been a joke or something, and Mike, not me, no way, kicked his legs and knocked the pail over. Ever see what happens when a few dozen crabs start running across the floor of a bar? They run fast and sideways, and people scream. We left there fast without our crabs. Lost the crabs, but had a story that we've been telling for 45 years now. Oh my goodness. I can just imagine the pandemonium. <laughs> Chaos. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the stable trying to act all cool. Like, check oh. <laughs> <"Shake>, please. <laughs> 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 oh, I bet the people at the restaurant
1: remember that as well. I I bet they do. I bet that there are wait staff that are still being like, "Oh man, well at least it's not the crab day. This is a whole day, but at least it's not the crab day." Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, we do have a
2: little bit more for you listeners, but first, we have one more quick break for word from our sponsors.
4: world's number one dad better than a world's number one dad coffee mug is an artisan cocktail in his hand make dad's father's day and father's day cocktails with all natural juices and bitters without making any mess at all visit b-a-r-t-e-s-i-a-n.com backslash father to get fifty dollars off the best premium cocktail maker for dad at the best price for you artesian
5: premium cocktails on demand glow with your best skin be confident in your skin
1: We're back. Thank you, sponsors. Yes, thank you. Lucy wrote, I loved your habanero episode and wanted to write to you since I have some personal history with hot peppers. I grew up eating a lot of hot food due to my mom's love of Mexican and Thai cuisines, and first grew my own peppers in 2017. In addition to habaneros, I had five other varieties across the entire spectrum of heat— I live in southwest Washington in the Columbia River Gorge, and while my town was very close to the origin of the Eagle Creek Fire in September that year, we miraculously did not need to evacuate. While the fire burned entire mountainsides less than a mile away across the river, and the cloud of smoke gave the world a sepia filter, I harvested my super-hot orange Trinidad Scorpion and King Naga peppers, and used both to make a delicious neon-orange hot sauce— I doubt it was under 200,000 on the Scoville scale, and I called it Eagle Creek Fire Sauce. I have sadly been forced to cut back on the heat due to ongoing protests in the abdominal region, but this year I am growing seven varieties of peppers, including the red savina, and I will certainly make more hot sauce. Perhaps I'll send you a jar of my Archer Mountain Chipotle after I smoke a batch of jalapenos and habaneros and recreate my old recipe from 2017. I opened the final jar of it in 2020, and it was delicious. The final thing I wanted to share is that I recently confirmed Wilbur Scoville is my seventh cousin a few generations removed of course given my family's love of hot peppers i thought that was a fun coincidence
0: that is Aww. fun <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> um and all of that hot sauce sounds
2: so delicious so you good.
1: you think all hot sauce sounds so delicious
2: <laughs> yes uh, people, <laughs> i love that people have been writing in and have been like have you tried these have you tried these like oh a whole world of hot sauces is opening to me <laughs> I did get um, among me and two other friends, we have all the um hot ones, hot sauces. Oh, uh, uh-huh. so we're gonna try to do it.
1: Oh no. We're try
2: to do it. <laughs> okay. It's gonna be a whole day. I'm gonna like block off the next day.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you probably should. You probably should.
2: Oh gosh. Well, I'll, <laughs> I'll report back on how that goes whenever we do it. We're, we're very clearly nervous about it. We're all like, yeah, let's do it. And yeah, no that sounds forth like a date. A great <laughs> plan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> Yes. Philippe wrote, Love the bouillon episode, and it was great to understand how the bouillon restaurants in France came to have that name. A couple of years ago, my wife and I went to Paris for the weekend. Ahead of the trip, I researched which restaurants to visit, but to my great surprise, pretty much every decent brasserie was eye wateringly expensive. I was about to give up and settle for less typical food when I came across an article celebrating the rebirth of bouillons. I read some more, checked the menus, and was thrilled to see that the food on offer is pretty much the same as in the brasseries, but with far more reasonable prices. We ended up going to Bouillon Chatier, a gorgeous old Paris institution. After queuing for 10 minutes, we were taken to our communal table and we had a fantastic meal of escargot, sausages, and a casserole served by very efficient and friendly waiters. And in a little over an hour, we were back to doing touristy things, very happy with the experience.
1: That sounds wonderful. That does sound wonderful. Oh, goodness. Right? (laughs) Oh, I haven't had escargot in so long. I know.
2: <laughs> when I was reading this, I was like,
1: what if you ate escargot in front of your snails? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Random thought. <laughs> I My roommate has definitely like shown my shrimp, the shrimp that she was about to cook. <laughs> <laughs> like, see, these are your buddies. And I'm like, Heidi, those are dead buddies, and they can't see them. And she's like, whatever. Dang. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> Oh, heck. (laughs) Rachel wrote, I have a mildly amusing Moscow mule story for you. Let me set the scene. I went to university in the early 2000s in Dunedin in New Zealand. Imagine San Francisco's hilly streets and Victorian cottages, but colder. No insulation, little heating. In winter, these student flats barely creep above 10 degrees Celsius, that's 50 Fahrenheit, indoors. One winter, my flatmate and I decided to have a Moscow Mule night. We started with about six bottles of Bundaberg ginger beer each, lime juice, and the obligatory bottle of Smirnoff. Dangerously quaffable is definitely accurate. We thought nothing of sticking to one drink all night. About four three hundred and seventy-five milliliter bottles of ginger beer each down, we started getting warm—like really warm. By the fifth bottle, we had stripped down to tank tops and had red faces, sweating profusely in our 10-degree flat while our flatmates wore about six layers. The ginger in those mules had completely overheated us. It's a lesson I learned and have never repeated. Those delicious drinks will heat you up from the inside out, so watch out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that makes sense after
2: knowing the science that you talked about, Lauren. All yeah. Yeah. Those-
1: all elements. these heating elements, sure, sure. Yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> I can't say I've ever had an experience like this. I've definitely felt like the the warm burning and the the cheeks kind of flushing. Yeah, but yeah, I've yeah, never yeah. like
1: yeah, because it makes overheated. your blood vessels dilate. Oh, I've definitely felt overheated while while uh, imbibing alcohol. Um, and I'm always reminded there was this really great episode of MythBusters where they tested the myth about um, alcohol keeping you warm in oh, the cold. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. by, and to do that, they put, I'm sorry, I'm just telling you about a thing that happened on a TV show now, but, uh, (laughs) but so, uh, so Jamie and Adam went into, like, a cold warehouse room or something, and, uh, Jamie stayed sober, and Adam got progressively drunk, and they had an infrared camera on them, and, uh, and, as it turns out, uh alcohol will not keep you physically warm. your body temperature will wind up going down further uh as you lose heat to your blood vessels dilating um but you won't feel it. you will care less.
2: <laughs> that sounds about right, <laughs> that sounds about right. <laughs> of course, there's a uh, <laughs> a test for that that's been done uh, an experiment <laughs> uh, Summer wrote geese are terrifying <laughs> they will hiss at you if you go anywhere near their nest I personally have lots of experience with Canada geese which are found everywhere here in London, Ontario but in all seriousness geese are quite aggressive especially around mm-hmm. breeding time unlike other birds they don't move out of the way of humans humans move out of the way for geese if mm-hmm. humans don't Geese will hiss in warning, proceed to chase you, and even jump you if you don't heed their warning. And poop. So much (laughs) geese poop. Everywhere they go, they leave their mark. And for some reason, dogs love to roll in it. I guess the geese have already gotten to them. Hope this sheds some light on Lauren's reasonable fear of geese. (laughs) You know, I remembered right after we talked about that, that there was a story in the news recently about a goose in a mall parking lot that was, like, attacking people. And it, it was, I, I felt bad laughing at it, but it was kind of funny because the news camera was just there watching these people get chased by a goose, and, like, nobody <laughs> warned them about, like... Wow. You know, oh, that's no. why we're filming here. Is There's is an aggressive goose, but they just let them kind <laughs> of be attacked. <laughs> and then I remember there was a story a couple years ago of, like, these geese that were at this nursing home, and they were causing all kinds of trouble. So... Right,
1: (laughs) I'm telling you, I'm telling you, they're not messing around. The only and the only thing worse than geese is swans.
2: This is what I've heard. A lot of people, a surprising number of people, I should say, in my life, have a story about a swan like grabbing their pants leg and trying to drag them somewhere or something.
1: Yeah, Uh they mean business, and like especially especially when you're a child. Like, I mean, Mm -hmm. swans are big. Swans are bigger than you expect, and Mm -hmm. like. I've definitely gotten into a fight with a (laughs) swan. The swan outweighed me, and it won really hard.
2: (laughs) Oh, I'm just imagining you tussling with a swan.
1: (laughs) Especially, like, tiny baby noodle, Lauren. (laughs) It's
2: true, because as a kid, you're told, you know, so beautiful, so graceful.
1: Oh, yeah. So so honky, yeah, that... (laughs) Watch out. (laughs) Uh, Brittany wrote, I'm listening to your episode on Adobo, and Annie joked about fending off aliens like Xenomorphs with salt and vinegar. I started laughing because this happened in a Doctor Who episode back in 2005, a season one, episode five, World War III. One of the characters, Jackie, is getting chased by a big, green, slimy alien in her home when the doctor determines that the alien's weakness is acetic acid. Jackie proceeds to mix all her kitchen's pickles, eggs, and vinegary options in a jar and fling it at the alien. Not only does the alien stop in its tracks, but it promptly explodes everywhere into low-budget sci-fi green spaghetti goo. (laughs) I thought you might appreciate hearing about vinegar used as an alien-fighting weapon.
2: So I was on to something, is what you're saying. Hey, yeah, yeah. I do remember that episode uh, after you brought it up, Brittany. Yeah, right. Yeah,
1: Yeah, I'm like, oh, how did I forget about that? Oh, yay! (laughs) Always keep pickles on hand. Always, always.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And lastly, Michelle wrote just a quick note about horror cookbooks. Mentioned in the episode about habanero in the listener mail, here's two eerie elegance eats and the necronom-nom-nom. Nom nom. Yes. <laughs> yes. Thank you for sending those to us. I have a friend who has the necronom-nom-nom, nom nom, and he sent me some of the recipes, and it was oh. a delight. Uh, I did so get fun. the sense that I would, I personally would get tripped up at the recipes because they were very, very funny, but they were written in a way where I think I I could misinterpret them. Oh. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But that's that's just me. I usually am doing way too much in the kitchen when I'm cooking. Um, (laughs) But it looked really cool and it was very funny. And I want to check out this other one too.
1: Yes. Yes, thank you. Always send book recommendations. Yes.
2: Yes. Um, And that brings us to the end of this listener mail episode. We still have so many listener mails to share with you all. We do. Please keep them coming. We love them. Thanks to everybody who contributed to this episode. Um, We really, really, really do appreciate it. We love hearing from all of you. Yes. And if you would like to email us, you can, our email is hello at saverpod.com.
1: We are also on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at saverpod, and we do hope to hear from you. Savor is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. Today's episode is brought to you by Discover Puerto Rico.
2: Puerto Rico is home to a thriving culinary scene based on products and traditions from the native Taino, African, and Spanish peoples that have influenced it.
1: When you go, there are a host of restaurants, bars, breweries, distilleries, farms, and coffee houses to dig into, from five star experiences to local favorites.
2: No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com.
5: all month but all year long check out ole's new indulgent moisture body wash online or at your favorite retailer
0: have you ever wondered what it would be like to have supervision enhanced hearing extraordinary reflexes to be dare we say superhuman well roku's new pro series tv can't do any of that for you but with a 4k screen side firing speakers and a blazing fast refresh rate